James, I have news. <gasps> okay. Hello? I have COVID. Really? Yes. I you have COVIDed yourself. Succumbed to the virus. Everyone's going to get it eventually. That's the. Ah. It's going to happen. I'm just annoyed. Really annoyed. Because it'd be nearly two years. And then this weekend, I believe, is when I got it. And then this morning, which is Thursday, I tested positive oh. in two LFTs. Oh. And there was a PCR winging its way to me. Oh, no. Well, I hope that you're prepared for some isolation. <laughs> yeah, well, yes and no. Okay. In that, there's a couple, there's a couple strings to this bow. Number one okay. is the uh, the work that I was really looking forward to, actually, okay. next week. Right. Which I can't do anymore because it's in person. Okay. That's uh, very understandable. Training sessions. Yep. With uh, Barclays, with MND Scotland. That was going to be a lot of fun. Oh, Oh no! But I am back in time for the Highland Spring media training, so that'll be fun. That'll be even better. Everyone's favorite bottled water <laughs> that tastes bad. Actually, I actually don't like it. <laughs> yeah, I, I I can neither confirm nor deny my opinion on Highland Spring. More popular than we are, at least. <laughs> that is true. Um, for bottled water. But. I did actually have some nice weekend plans with uh, my brothers because I haven't seen them this year. Oh. And those have had to be shelved. However, on the bright side, right. uh, Graham also tested positive for COVID right. on Tuesday night. Bright side indeed. And bright side means we can now like isolate together. Hooray. Yeah. Because he doesn't want to give it to his parents. Yeah, if you're both going to get COVID, you might as well both get it at the same time. That does make things a bit easier. I'm pretty sure... And please, listeners, feel free to roll your eyes. I'm pretty sure we got this at a gay bar. At an orgy. <laughs> I mean, yeah. <laughs> I wasn't. I wasn't there. I can't pass judgment. No, it was in the um, ahem, riding room okay. in Polo. That's genuinely what it's called. I'm not making it yeah, up. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. Uh, in the riding room in in Glasgow. So on Sunday, a uh, Sunday pass was uh, February 13th, and because I was working on the 14th, we decided to do uh, a little Valentine's uh, dinner and drinks. Okay, yeah. So yeah. we went out to uh, Topolabama, which was uh, lovely, nice and civilised, mm-hmm. and then we thought, hey, let's go out to Polo and uh, see Tom Harlow, who's a cabaret singer, who's very, very good, very entertaining. Right. And so we sat there, we had some drinks, very, very uh, cocktails, very classy, very nice, and then we're like, hey, do you want to go downstairs, see, see what's happening in, in the club? Okay. And we were there for about 20 minutes, and I was init- instantly like, there are way too many people in here for my liking. Okay. And uh, lasted about, yeah, it was about 20 minutes. Yeah, it's pretty standard for me. And then left. <laughs> Tuesday night, uh, Graham started coughing. At this point, I dropped him off. Oh. And then I, I was having difficulty. Right, uh, yep, 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 yep. Swallowing slash drinking anything. Okay, okay, But yeah. felt, felt okay Wednesday, but by that point Graham was positive and then I woke up this morning and just sniffly, sore throat, sore head, Right, COVID yep. has arrived. So we're going to record for an hour. It's going to be perfect. <laughs> really good for your health. The thing is, I and this has been the, the general feeling with people who've got Omicron, mm-hmm. is that it's generally just a cold. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so far, that checks out. No, uh, yeah, absolutely. If you're if you're got your vaccines and your boosters, the chances are that it's just going to be yep. uh, uh, as manageable as a, a flu. Get boosted, people. And, uh, any other of the flus. So get your boosters, <laughs> me, uh, and then make plans. But I don't go anywhere, so I'm not scared yet. <laughs> right, you should still get it, though. You should probably get that 
booked in. I was I was just gonna go to a drop in this week. Okay, well, walk-ins are back on the menu. Good, good. And considering your podcast co-host has the COVID, here's your sign to tell you go get the booster, and then you still might not get, <laughs> still might not avoid it. Yeah, it's it's it is kind of weird that we do record this in person with just the one mic, and uh, I I should probably consider some health. Uh, at this point there is only tracing paper between myself and James <laughs> which we've used half a dozen times oh gross and not just for the podcast indeed <laughs> it has a variety of uses James how are you anyway Covid free I presume Covid free I'm doing okay I've got basically nothing to report on I, I, Great. I oddly enough slept real good as soon as it started being really windy weird the last two nights yeah Knock me out. Perfect. Stormy boy. Yeah. Wow. And usually it's the opposite. Usually I do I struggle to sleep when it's stormy, but my goodness, it just worked for me Why? this time. So that's been cool. That's weird. I don't know, but genuinely it has happened and I've just slept until the morning, woke up, not been too groggy even. Great. And just be like, whoa, storms are my power now. It's going to run out any day. Like it's just maybe just two nights of my life. I'm going to enjoy stormy sleeps. Okay. And then... Back to normal. We'll see. I mean, there is meant to be snow on the way on Friday in Scotland. What? So maybe a third night of bliss awaits. Like currently, it's like just super, super nice looking outside. My cat's sleeping on the window shelf. Uh. I went to say hello before the podcast and it was adorable. <laughs> she thought I was going to go around one side of the curtains. I went around the other side. Oh. <laughs> Fun and games with James. <laughs> Wow, that was... That's a Seas Operate spin-off. You, you, better, you want to bleep that one, actually. <laughs> I, don't, I don't actually know how well-received the um, bleeping of, of your phrasing from last week's episode went, but I'll presume that Did most people... Did nobody report it back, as far as I'm aware? No, which, which clearly... I wanted to be told what they filled the blank in with. Clearly means that we are just recording into a, a, you know, an empty space. You know, if a tree falls over in a forest, doesn't make a sound. Nobody took us seriously. We got our one serious question-answer... Off the year and that's it. We've already we've already blown it. And I've got COVID. Make it worse. <laughs> Hope you all feel terrible. Yeah, it's your fault. <laughs> no, it's fine. It's just I am just annoyed that I got it. As you it's, say, um, it, yeah, kind of inevitable. Um, but also, uh, funnily slash sadly, we have in the uh, the family group chat been playing the essentially the COVID Olympics which is you know if you get it you're out oh we're down to the last four but you know Graham got COVID on oh, Tuesday so you didn't even medal no no exactly I, I've finished outside the podium places that's embarrassing yeah which is a shame because I would love to once in my life finish in the top three of anything <laughs> well sport related I should yeah, say yeah you're dodging COVID as a sport for sure um, I don't. I don't know what my family COVID situation is. I feel like no, nobody's had it. So it's I feel like nobody. Yeah, it's like open contention has. on my end. Anyone could get gold. Um, <laughs> I like. I'm sure everybody's going to get COVID eventually. I think part of it is going to be this thing that eventually there isn't going to be testing specifically for COVID anymore. Right. Right. And at that point, we'll all just get it, and we'll be like, well, "Did we get COVID? Was it just a bad cold?" Blah 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 blah. But for now, we're still getting tested. I think if you can make it through to the point where tests just aren't getting administered for COVID anymore, that's when you get the gold medals. Everybody who hasn't had Every, it... Everybody wins. They get their medal. Everyone wins. The fun was taking part. It wasn't really fun. The sadness was taking part. But now we all get our gold medals. <laughs> I, I mean, to be fair, I was reading this week that LFTs are sooner rather than later going to... You're going to have to pay for them. 
rather than get them for free. Basically, yeah. I mean, it's we. I don't agree with this as a principle unless there's also going to be zero, like calls for self-isolation if you test positive. So so surely that's the way we're going. We're going to eventually get to a point where people get COVID and they still go to work. Exactly, yeah. And then at that point, at that point, testing and stuff, sure, people pay for it because at that point it's not being mandated by the government and stuff like that. If something's mandated by the government, it shouldn't really cost us money because you want to tax things that you discourage. So you shouldn't be taxing the people who are like wanting to be safe and take the test. You should be. Okay. So, so, you know, at a point where it's no longer mandated and everyone's just like a little bit extra careful and cautious, you want you can, you can encourage them uh, by making the tests available, but at a price. And everyone else, sure. But if the government's still mandating things, they should be free. It's also including clothes. The government should give us all clothes for free because if if we go outside, we have to wear clothes. I need my government clothes. We do. And houses. I mean, clothes are optional. And food for outside. Are they? Oh, I mean, it depends. On... I guess it's about the minimum. Maybe government. Maybe the government can give us right undergarments. Okay. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Everyone gets a, deal with that. Pair of, a pair of boxers in the post every month, and if right. you're homeless, I guess you don't get it in the post. But you know, distributed. <laughs> wow. <laughs> okay. Well. But you think this is a bad policy? That's one way to start the show. I'm gonna I'm gonna start a new podcast called Good Policies. That sound bad? I thought, I thought your spinoff was called Fun and Games with James. Oh, no. that Yeah, that's the other one where I just talk to right. my cat. I mean, I would listen to that show. But anyway, you're listening to this show. It's Seesaw Parade with COVID Colin and third jag-free James. <laughs> good, are you? Good, good attempt. I'll take it. I'll take it. <laughs> uh, and yeah, this is Scotland's longest running up until this week COVID-free podcast. You know what? In Scotland. Could have been the title. <laughs> Do you reckon there is a podcast in Scotland that has been COVID-free this whole time? Uh, there might be, but not one I know of, so therefore it doesn't count. Exactly. We get the gold medal. <laughs> hey, gold medal for us. And thank you very much for listening. Uh, really appreciate it. You can get in touch with us at Parade on Twitter, Parade at gmail.com, as Google Analytics did this week. Wow. So thank you, Thanks, Google, Google, for that report. <laughs> really interesting stuff. Your growth is up 0%. <laughs> You're doing really good. <laughs> uh, to be fair, I think our, our listeners may drop uh, for the rest of the year because of all the episodes I privatized. Uh, True, week. maybe, but you could also just keep doing that, and then we start start at a new low, and then build from there. That's true. Yeah. Okay. I did actually. Yeah, I, I did actually think of what we should do to the podcast. Really? Oh yeah. What was your idea? We should a hundred percent have a deletion policy because our current affairs podcast is irrelevant after ten days have passed, <laughs> if not after ten hours have passed. Well, and I do feel guilty having people listen to stuff that is completely irrelevant. I think we should. Put it all in an archive, okay. selectively take out the parts that are still relevant and upload them, you know, if it's like a film review or something, I guess. However, in the long run, I think we should start every now and then doing a non-current affairs episode that doesn't get deleted. So so I'll... you and I talk about something right. properly. Okay, well, so the, the very last part of what you said I agree with. The rest of it sounds like way too much work, but I will happily privatize slash archive the first hundo episodes. We're up to 50 at this point. I'll get to the, the next 50 before the end of the month. But certainly, like, it's nice to listen to the old episodes in, in like, a microcosm of what was happening at the time. This is true. You know, this is true. You listen to the, the podcast episodes when coronavirus was literally, like, the last thing on the show, and we're like, oh, should we talk about this? Well, it's in China. Uh, uh, maybe not just now. 
you know, it's, it's interesting yeah. and slash and, like, terrifying. I can't imagine a government getting this wrong. Well, exactly, yeah. So, so there is, I think, some value in keeping older episodes. There's However, a, okay. okay, I was, I was being, I was being mean. I do agree that a, a standalone "Let's Talk About Neoliberal Capitalism" Ooh. is a great idea. All right, there we go. Let's do that. So every now and then, no current affairs. But we'll, we'll have to come up with like a snazzy title for each one. Uh, I, we just don't give, give it an episode type number. That's it. Uh, right. Let, okay. You know what? Let's shelve this. We'll come back to it. We'll do it in future when my brain fog is lifted. We will. But that's my pitch. Okay. Well, pitch accepted by by the soul dragon in this den <laughs> slash cupboard. I'm in for 50%. Budget zero. <laughs> Profitability zero. We'll see. Actually, going to make a loss. Well, yeah, technically, at work hours. Yeah. It's about time we uh, we renewed our SoundCloud, so that's going to oh, take yeah. a chunk out of my bank account. Oh dear. That's uh, fine. It's fine. SoundCloud can have my money. Okay, James, shall we? Uh, shall we crack on? Yes. I actually raised my hands in the air there just to paint a picture for you all. Excellent. Okay, let's uh, start. Talk about Russia. Yay. Russia. I mean, less cool and more like slightly scary. A bit muddy now, actually. But, hey, the winter season is coming to an end and their tanks are getting bogged down. <coughs> that one killed Colin. That one. Yeah, that it did. Okay, let's start with the news that Russia has claimed. <laughs> Do you want a little break to clear your throat a little <laughs> no, more? No, I, I will keep going. Russia's claim that it's moving troops away from the Ukrainian border is false, according <laughs> to wow. the White House. A massive lie, I can't believe it. They added that 7,000 extra troops have actually arrived in recent days. Oh. Uh, this senior official also said that Russia could launch a false pretext to invade Ukraine at any moment, which I think we already knew. Well, they have been. They have been doing that. They um, recorded a, a, a terrorist attack. Oh, did they? In the territory. Missed that. Um, yeah, they released some very, very well-documented footage of a of an explosive device on the ground where, oh. where they had like a dozen camera angles covering it. It's almost like they were prepared to, to prove it. Um, and they're also claiming that there is currently a genocide ongoing in the area and that they don't want war, but, you know, there's a genocide, so you might just go in there and like make things a bit better. Right, interesting. So they're doing it. They're, they are preparing all of the flags. And it's, it's not to convince us, it's just to convince the people at home that they're doing the right thing because the people at home do still as a majority vote for Putin okay well moving on from that the last uh, seven days Russia had initially said it was moving troops away from the border after the completion of military exercises but both Ukrainian and uh, Western allied officials said they'd seen no evidence to support this claim both uh, Olaf Scholz has uh, met Putin this week. I believe Macron maybe had another phone call with him. And uh, US President Joe Biden said that the country must take real steps towards de-escalating. But that doesn't appear to be happening, James. No, I don't think it has really happened. Now, at this point, they have invested so much of their like strategical options onto the border that I don't think it's really easy for them to pull out without getting something to like claim some f- strategic victory as well. It, it, the, 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 the invasion is looking more and more imminent with different dates being thrown out as the 
uh, potential. However, one of them was yesterday, and right. it didn't quite happen. So we'll just see when they actually finally choose to choose to make their move. Um, while the rest of the world tries to find the right amount of things to concede so that Ukraine gets to keep its sovereignty. And while Ukraine is also still saying, hey, we actually would quite like to be in NATO, by the way. So that this to me seems to be the, the, the main stumbling block in that I believe it was called the Minsk Agreement, which was drawn up in the early 2000s but never enacted, Yeah, in which Russia would essentially move its troops away from the border in return... Ukraine and these local provinces in the east of the country, right on the border, would hold local elections. Yeah. And Ukraine have basically said, uh, no, that's a non-starter because those elections would then elect pro-Russia candidates. Right. And making that annexation a whole lot easier. Indeed, and it would. And of course, as we've talked about before, Russia's main complaint has been Ukraine cannot be allowed to join NATO. Mm Mm-hmm. And uh, Ukraine have said, no, we'd like to join NATO, please. Thank you. But yeah, no, yeah, it, it is a country divided, though, because the, the the region that Russia does want to take is more pro-Russian influence than the regions yeah, is. out with that are more pro-NATO or pro-EU even. Um, so there is that divide. And it is a, a difficult divide because people should be represented by their interests, by someone who represents their interests, right, right? right? They should be able to vote for someone. Even if that someone's like, hey, I want to be in Russia again. Th- that should be allowed, like on paper. Um, but that's not for Russia to decide either. When it, like, It's not for Russia to decide that Ukraine is doing things wrong and therefore we need to take the land. The elections idea you're saying, you know, that's, that's going to work even if, for example... Ukraine have, have said, well, no, we don't want to do that because there will be some sort of mishmash in the paperwork and the people who we don't want to get in will get in. Well, yeah. No, th- like that is obviously going to be a stumbling block for Ukraine in the long run if they don't hold proper, fair elections across all regions and stuff like that. Right. Which I don't know the nitty gritty of it, but if they've especially promised to do it and they're not doing it, then, then hey, that is a mistake on their end. But that the, re- the repercussions for that mistake isn't things like, and now we invade your country. It's things like, all right, well, I guess we don't do so much trade with you until you sort this out. So your country's a bit less well off and doesn't prosper until you actually do sort it out. You know, R- right, but, the, but the, 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 the less violent so- solutions. Right, but the, the US, the UK have been talking about putting more economic sanctions on Russia for a long time. Indeed. Do those actually, do they do anything? Well, we haven't done proper ones at any point because we we, we haven't tried to prod the bear properly. What do you mean? Um, Russia is very vulnerable to sanctions because of the people who kind of control the nation are, are very well known. Their money is well known. Their, their investments are well known. And they'd be easy to kind of push out. Uh, you, like the the US released their their advice and stuff like that, which basically included like don't trust the Conservative Party in the UK, um, detailing how we should approach this, and it included a lot of things like just detailing what sanctions are going to be effective. And this wasn't all in, I guess it wasn't all in one paper, but people we've known for a long time that to target Russia, target the wealthy people there who are the influence. Okay. Over. Putin. And you can target Putin as well. And you take away their resources and their money. You take away their investments in your own country and stuff like that. Rather than going for the general, like, hey, well, we might, like, buy less of your gas. We're going to buy more gas from the Saudis. You know, there's options. And they've never really been flexed. And I think they could be, but it would probably take over into a lot more violence. So it's about finding the right balance, yeah. which is why people usually are a bit 
be careful with it. Okay, well, just in the last hour or so, Russia has expelled the deputy U.S. ambassador at the U.S. embassy in Moscow. Right. It's not clear why that's happened, but I'm sure the U.S. will respond. And also the defense secretary for the uh, U.S., Lloyd Austin, claims that Russia is actually moving troops closer to the border and is stocking up on blood supplies. Speaking in Brussels, Austin says the US uh, is also seeing Russia flying in more combat and support aircraft yeah. and is sharpening their readiness in the Black Sea. So yeah, that to me, you know, these things, you don't just do them for no reason. You know, you're clearly no. preparing for something and, and Russia's... Uh, denials are see-through. Right. They're, they are transparent to the, the degree that they are clearly over-prepared if, it, if they're going for a, just getting some more concessions. I think they do want something major out of this, which would probably be the region that we've talked about several times being a, like very strategically important for them long-term. Um, they've invested so much. They're flying out all like so many new supplies each each uh, week that it's hard to keep up with. They've done things like building up field hospitals. You don't really do that if you're not intending to have any casualties. So their intent is clear, and the only question is, can we de-escalate it by talking them down by finding the right things to give them? Yeah. And the response from NATO uh, allied countries has to be pretty strong. There's a lot of calls out there from people who want uh, world peace and all this to like just like. Let the war happen. <laughs> Sometimes it's a, got, a terrible idea, which is a bad idea. You've got people like Nigel Farage coming out in support of Russia, which I guess isn't surprising since you know he likes that Russian money, um, and the response has to be very different. And I don't think anybody's going to be happy with the right response because it seems like people from all sides of the political spectrum want something that isn't strong enough. And the response has to be strong because if Russia keeps just being allowed to do what they want on the world stage, it does weaken the integrity of things like alliances and things like NATO (laughs) to a point where, hey, how do you stand up against Russia if they want to annex your whole country? So I don't know what we're going to see in the next few weeks, but Russia definitely has overinvested if it's just a bluff. So they have to get something out of it at this point. Otherwise, they've just wasted a ton of resources. Uh, and that, to me, is is the natural conclusion of all this. Either there is some sort of concession and a diplomatic, yeah. violence-free solution is found, yeah. or, as I suspect will happen, Russia will do something, and there will be incursions into Ukraine. Yeah. And as for how NATO and the rest of the Allies respond to that... I don't know, because as we said, we saw before with Crimea back in 2014, Russia invaded, they took it over, and Allies went, oh no, don't do not don't do that, yeah, please. Yeah, uh, use minor sanctions. Right, so so uh, what, what can they do? Because uh, I highly doubt they would engage in a well, you know, yeah. man-to-man combat. They're not going to do that. No, the, the, the response just is to escalate the, the sanctions that we're seeing, so the, the most sensible response I've seen in terms of if Russia does a thing and the response isn't military would be to just move more of our um, energy demands away from the country. They're trying to take Ukraine because Ukraine is going to be a source of energy, basically. Oil and gas reserves are untapped. If they don't have anyone to sell that to, okay. they don't make the money that they wanted. <laughs> so they'd have to like sell it to their partners in China and stuff like that, which wouldn't be as profitable as selling it to uh, Europe or selling it to, well, mostly Europe, I guess, and especially Germany. 
So there is a reason that we have all of these allies in the Middle East. We put up with a lot of stuff that they do wrong for a lot of reasons. And I don't agree with it. But the reason is that we can at any point rely on them more for their current wealth of oil and gas. And we can set up that infrastructure instead. So if Russia goes too far, the Europe and the rest can invest in setting up they're a different supply of power. Right. And it does cripple Russia at that point to a degree that we haven't seen yet. And it would make their in- their invasion not really profitable at all. Okay. I think the solutions that are like preemptive it would be some kind of agreement to make Uc- a Ukrainian uh, gas infrastructure less crippling to Russia's interests of profits. Which would, of course, make yeah, Ukraine yeah. worse off. So we have to come up with a way to make Ukraine happy as well after that. But currently, it doesn't look good. Okay, there's been one other big story this week to talk about, and it is Prince Andrew who settled the US civil sexual assault case brought against him by Virginia Giuffray. So the Duke of York agreed to pay an undisclosed sum yep. believed to be £12 million pounds mm-hmm. as part of the settlement and accepted that Mr. Giuffray had suffered as a victim of abuse. He made yeah. no admission of liability and had always denied the allegations. In fact, James... He said at one point that he never actually met this woman. Yeah. Uh, despite the you know photographic evidence that had emerged, so in that case, it is very decent of him to have paid you know millions of dollars to someone he's never when he met. He didn't meet her. Yeah. To stop them accusing him of something he definitely didn't do. Absolutely didn't. Yeah, for sure. Now, right. Part of this seems to be that hey, they're not going to be allowed to talk about it for a while. Right? Oh, okay. Right. <laughs> hold on. Hold on. Hold on. We're, we're getting ahead of ourselves. Okay. Let's start, first of all, with the fact that uh, he was being sued for the claims of sexual assault uh, three times when she was 17. And this was about to go to court. If you've been listening to the show for a while or keeping attention, uh, keeping tabs on the news, you will have seen that uh, the Prince Andrew's defense lawyers threw up various technical issues like, oh, she'd filed it in the wrong state. Or, yeah, they tried to keep it out of the courts. Yeah, essentially, they, they tried everything they possibly could to throw up these levers of, of technicalities. And then just before it goes to trial, his team say, you know, what, actually, fine. Okay, we'll settle. Let's stop yeah. this. Getting out, we'll pay you. Yeah. So that's happened. And then, James, as you say, there's a couple of questions being raised. The first one is... Where's this money coming from? True. And the second one is, as you said there, part of the settlement, it's believed, is that Virginia Giuffre is not allowed to speak about the case until after the Jubilee celebrations, where the Queen will celebrate 70 years on the throne. So, Which is, like, very specific. <laughs> it is. It's almost as if they don't want it to tarnish their squeaky clean image. Yeah, we must make the day as lovely as possible with right, right. without acknowledging the family's disgusting everything. Okay, so so let's talk about the, well, I'll hand over to you first of all for this uh injunction to stop her speaking until after the queen's big day. I mean, it's just weird to me that it's so specific. If you want like you can when you're like making these settlements, you can have like a lifelong agreement that you're not allowed to talk about it. So I, I don't know what kind of a power they held over the um, defense here, which, of course, we know exactly what kind of a power they held over the defense here, where they managed to talk it down to such a specific date that wasn't like, and you're not allowed to talk about this for one entire lifetime. Um, 
And it just means that, hey, there's something major to kind of keep an eye on in terms of this story developing. Right. Pretty pretty soon. We're not we don't have to wait too long to see if they are going to be willing to talk about it publicly and talk about the uh, detail of what of what is being um not quite admitted, but being paid for. Um now I agree that I agree with systems like this, wherein like if you want to settle outside of court, that's that's your that's your choice, that's your justice. Um and like good on them getting getting paid, and I hope that they're willing to uh, talk about it when the opportunity arises because there may be more people out there who need that encouragement to take these stories um, to the to the place where they need to be heard usually court but sometimes just okay not quite court what about the what about the financial aspect this is as I've said they're speculated to be a 12 million pound payout yeah and uh, Prince Andrew he'll have his uh, Royal Navy pension a uh, stipend from the Queen's Duchy of Lancaster income, but twelve million—that's a lot. And some people have suggested that is coming indeed from the Queen or income mm-hmm. that Buckingham Palace receives. Uh, and that is, yeah, I don't think anyone has yet confirmed where that is or where it's coming from, and I don't know if it ever will be disclosed. Yeah, twelve million sounds like a lot of money, but then when you're like one of these higher ups, or you're related to one of these higher ups, kind of like the Queen, who seems to be pretty high up there, um, twelve million, pretty small beans, not a lot of money. Um, you, they could keep that, they could keep that in a back pocket for for generations to keep it handy for whatever is needed use, whatever use is needed. Uh, it would be great to know that it wasn't like UK taxpayer money that made this possible. It would be great to know if they had to sell some assets to cover their um, massive failures as a family. And I hope they continue to have to sell all their assets to cover their massive failures as a family. Um, but until we know where the money came from, it's all it is all just speculation. And we can just hope that it wasn't just like another freebie from the UK populace getting some uh, rich dude out of trouble. Okay, James, let's move on. Let's uh, go to lighter things and talk about some trailers and also what we've been watching. So I have an Oscar-nominated movie and a very brief recap of a TV show I've seen before. All right, I've I've just added a TV show. Hey. I can talk about a TV show. Okay, well, let me start with Nightmare Alley, oh. which uh, is the one of the Best Picture nominees at this year's Oscars. It is All right. the new film from, uh, from Guillermo del Toro, who is best known for The Shape of Water, Pan's Labyrinth, Hellboy, all sorts of wildly inventive movies. And yeah, the, he just makes what he wants. He does, and he does it very, very well. Unless he wants to make The Hobbit, uh, I guess. And after The Shape of Water, which you know did so well commercially, but also uh, you know uh, awardsly as well. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> couldn't think of the word. No, it's a word now. He was basically given the free reign to to make this movie. So this is actually based on a book. I didn't know this. Uh-huh. It was made in 1947, and this is uh, a new version. Starring right. Bradley Cooper in the main role as yep. Stan, but you also have an ensemble, high-profile A-list cast, including the likes of Willem Dafoe, Tony Collette, Ron Perlman, right. Rooney Mara, yeah. and Kate Blanchett, okay. uh, as well as a couple other f- familiar collaborators in Del Toro movies. And it tells the story of, of Stan, this guy Bradley Cooper, 
who is, for lack of a better word, a hustler, a con man. And he winds up working at a carnival. And he realises he's got a real talent for mentalism. Okay. And that is when you appear to be predicting or knowing certain things about a person. Uh, simply through asking them questions. And as the film explains, this says uh, information is conveyed through verbal cues. Really interesting stuff. Yeah, verbal cues, physical cues. <laughs> like, mentalism is very interesting. It, it is. As I think. Certainly. Yeah. So the second half of the film, so the first half sets up this, uh, you know, Bradley Cooper's character. The second half of the film is set a couple of years later where he's established himself okay. and he's now in in Buffalo in New York. And he is right. wowing the elites with his uh, mentalism, wow. but he is beginning to get in you know too what? deep. I could mental, I could mentalist to the elites. I'm sure, you could. You've got, you've got money. You inherited it from your parents. You invested <laughs> it somewhat poorly, but still made lots of money because investments are kind of an easy way to make money if you already have money. Right. And they're like, whoa. <laughs> yeah. No, he's uh, he he gets into the darker side of mentalism. So you know, speaking to those who are dead. Right. Yes. And yes. The made-up stuff. It gets himself into a higher and higher stakes issue right. with a couple of people playing this this game alongside Kate Blanchett's psychologist, uh-huh. and uh, it all ends in quite some fashion. So, a Guillermo fashion. It's it's very much so. Yeah. So okay. this is first of all two and a half hours long. Oof. So it is quite the epic. All right. However. What Del Toro does really well, and if you know any of his previous films, he is a world builder. Yes. You are very much invested in the world that these characters inhabit, but also these people themselves. Yeah. To the extent that in the second half of the movie, when he's in New York, you, you never get a shot of the skyline. You never get an upward shot of the the buildings. Ooh. Everything is very tight-knit. It's alleyways. It's nice. narrow streets. It's interiors. It's very claustrophobic. None of the cliché. And it's, in some parts, nerve-shreddingly tense. Mm. So the name Nightmare Alley is, t- to me, when I heard it, I thought it was going to be some sort of uh, you know gross horror. Right, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, this is a psychological thriller. That's, w- that's what this is. Okay. And, yeah, there's some, some violence in there, but it's not like an out-and-out horror movie, which I thought it was going to be. Sounds I a bit just, like, yeah. I just got the completely wrong end of the stick. Right. Performance-wise, it's phenomenal. Bradley Cooper has this immense ability to be very likable despite playing a terrible person. And Kate Blanchett, who, in her role, she's essentially out to prove that Bradley Cooper's Stan is a con artist. You, Even though she's got the morally right argument, you want her to lose, which is a really... Yeah, okay, one of those films. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right, it's a really nicely handled movie in that regards, in that you want... You want the bad guys to get away with it. Right, yeah. And that's through, even even though they're flawed and they're bad people. Yeah. But what I enjoyed about the film was that it you were rooting for Stan up to a certain point, and then the movie twists and they make a, a character decision towards the end. Right. And then you think, right, and now I hope you get it. I hope that you lose. I'm done with you. <laughs> so I really enjoyed it. It was long, but... If you enjoy Del Toro movies, if you enjoy the character building and the fact that, you know, you're really brain on, sit down, engaged movie. Right. Yeah. This, I'm sure, will be hitting streaming services very soon. It hasn't done very well at the box office, which is a shame. 
So I fully expect you'll see it on Prime or, or Netflix or similar very soon. So if you're into that kind of thing with a high profile cast, solid reviews, best picture nominee, it won't win, but it is very fun. All right. Nice. Okay. I thought it was just going to be one of those like Guillermo's getting on the list because it's Guillermo. But hey, sounds like it's actually good. Yes, it is very, very good. Okay, James, tell me about your TV show. What have you watched? A while ago, I finished watching the final season of The Expanse, hey. a show that got cancelled, re-picked up, and then kind of a wee bit cancelled, but they got to make the final season anyway. Okay. I don't understand why people failed to invest in this show, because it is really popular right. and really good. I don't I don't see where the money wasn't coming from, but I guess is it all Is this went. a Netflix show? It is on Amazon. It, got, it was a, not an Amazon show originally, but then they picked it up after... Got it. I can't remember what studio stopped producing it after season two, I think. The Expanse is a TV show about the politics of space. Wow. Wherein there's like, within the solar system, there is, it's like about the, the, the power and influences of planets and also other, other interplanetary bodies as they uh, try to work towards their own means and goals and the way it affects individuals in that situation so it follows the main cast have their own ship there's just like three or four of them most of the time on that ship um and they just try and navigate their way through this continual catastrophe as as of course each season of tv leads from one disaster to another right right the disasters are different enough that it keeps the show very interesting and in the final season it was a culmination of all of these disasters into one massive disaster full of incredible weighted character moments and they had to do it in just six episodes because they got cancelled um the biggest shame about this is that they had to do it all in six episodes because this could have been one of the best TV series right. out there with one of the best f- final seasons out there and instead it's kind of like one of the best final seasons but you're left wishing that it didn't have to do it so fast uh. because every single episode I'd finish it and be like oh my goodness they've only got two episodes <laughs> left or well, they've only got one episode left and it was always this anxiety of instead of like enjoying what happened I'm just trying to figure out what on earth are they going to do to speed up the rest oh, of the my. story because they had to take so many shortcuts and stuff like that with story um, just to make it all fit in. However, they did. I think it is as well executed as it could have been okay. for what they were given to work with. Um, there is basically no wasted time, as far as I'm concerned. Uh, there are the occasional little, like, there's the occasional little, like, de- character decision or plot direction that doesn't quite make sense logistically because they just didn't have the ability to justify it. Okay. Um, However, they hit every single major character development moment. Even though they had tiny a tiny number of episodes to work with, characters still got huge development. They hit all of the major plot points. They hit they hit the the big crisis, the, and and they gave it enough time to resolve and all of these things. And it was so masterfully done that, I, that I'm still just upset that there wasn't more. Um, so it did feel rushed. Okay. However, the acting, better than ever. Every season, the acting gets better. The cast was like not really well known when they got picked up, but my goodness, could they deliver? Um, the character dynamics just keep growing and evolving. It's really cool to see characters that don't just act the same towards each other for the duration of a TV show. Their dynamics are changing, and, and they actually have to evolve, and they're, they interact in new ways with new people. Or they take parts of their old character and apply it towards someone new. And it's really cool to see all those things. Right, right, the right. The CGI 
incredible for a space show. You got to imagine how many shots of this are full CG with like everything going on in space. A lot. Their work with making gravity a thing and not a thing, mind blowing. There's some su- there's such casual movements that just go that just land so well when they're when they're dealing with the way gravity and stuff works in space. I loved it. I'm I'm just I'm a bit of a nerd for that, I guess. Nice. Um, but yeah, the space battle is really well done. But even things like CGI for landscapes or for creatures or just for random shots that you couldn't actually achieve in real life, perfect. Um, there's incredible. The battle scenes are incredible, uh, beyond what I would have expected from a TV show. Um, and they are dropping hints for what is to come. Because even though the oh. TV show got cancelled, they are setting themselves up for getting picked back up. Really? Whether it be in TV form or film form. They've, they've, they just spent just enough time in the final season going, What about this? Well, look at this plot developing over here. Wouldn't you like to know what happens over here in this plot? And you're like, well, are you going to tell me? They're like, well, not yet. Someone's going to pay us to do it. And I, I just really want that. I have not wanted anything more in terms of like a sequel or a follow-up than this because it is interesting so good and the next plot can only get better so overall it is one of the best things i have watched that's quite the recommendation if you can get through i'm gonna say the first half of season one if you can get to that point and are enjoying it at that point you're gonna love the show if you're really patient and you get to like watching an entire two seasons and you enjoy it, nice. oh my goodness, it only gets better. Okay, well, thank yeah. you very much. Incredible. I could talk about it a lot more, but I'll stop there. <laughs> Already did. So, <laughs> as I mentioned... Harsh. Harsh but true. As I mentioned on Cease Operate last week, I have been re-watching Breaking Bad, along with Graham, who's watching it for the first time. And it's really interesting revisiting a show for the first time in eight years. I can actually pinpoint when I watched Breaking Bad. I yeah. binged it on the uh, between June and July of 2014, particularly when I had tonsillitis right. um, for about 10 days. It was horrible. But really interesting to revisit this show, which is very much a perfectly set show for the yes. era in which it was made. Absolutely. Because as I briefly mentioned... The invention of smartphones would have made much of the show and much of the problems that they encounter null and void. Yeah. You know, the fact that um, Walter has two phones, the fact that they <laughs> lose signal, that their battery yeah. runs out, yeah. that they don't have 4G, that they can't use Google Maps, all these things, because the show was shot in the late 2000s, early 2010s. Well, and set there, yeah. So the technology simply didn't exist. So there's so many of yeah. these episodes which rely on the fact that the tech is just not that good. And it's it's really interesting in that way because, yeah, if you tried to make that show now, yeah, it would be different. So I enjoy that aspect of it. Now, as for how I remember it and how I'm enjoying it, as I recalled, season one is a slow burn yeah, because they have to establish the characters and their motivations. That being said, the progression of Walter White from this naive slightly timid chemistry teacher who solves his problems of chemistry right to a feared drug lord is who solves his problems of violence astounding and it's so well done because to make that progression happen you know that takes at this point 19 episodes so far and he's still not there yet yeah but it's every so often there's just a flash of something yeah and then they build on it whether that's the way he speaks to Jesse uh, the fantastic Aaron Paul, who is phenomenal yeah. in this show. Or it's the progressive, uh, progressively 
violent acts he dishes out on people, which, as we'll see later in the show, get worse and worse. <laughs> Whoa. And his relationship with Skylar, really interesting. Oh, Another perfect performance because he hates her so much. <laughs> oh, absolutely. And the writing in this show as well, Vince Gilligan, who is the creator of the entire show, I believe the writer as well, my goodness, he, I'm sure was showered with awards for this show, but there's so many bits of this season, particularly season two, where I actually was like, uh, because of how nicely written so many of these right. stories are, they're dovetailed together. Like Gus Fring shows up at Hank Schrader's police office and sees they're having a, a, a fundraiser for Walter White. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's little things like this, and the way it's shot, the way it's edited... Oh, it is such a great show to rewatch. The only criticism I have, and I appreciate this is difficult when you do have uh, essentially an ensemble show, right. is that the characters of the likes of Hank, Marie, even Walter Jr., who is currently going by the name Flynn, oh, yeah. they, they just drift in and out of the show yeah. a little too much. Okay. So, for example, Hank will be a big part of the episode. You know, in the early parts of season two, he's down in... In Mexico, yeah, with Danny Trejo for you know, a, a cameo episode. <laughs> for a bit, yeah, yeah. And there's a good 15 minutes spent on Hank and you know the, the the fallout of what happens in Mexico. And then just in the middle of the season, he just disappears, and you don't see for you don't see him for a few episodes. Mm-hmm. Now I appreciate that's a lot of characters to keep in, but it's the only thing, or one of the only things I could come up with. Like, what would I have done differently? I'd maybe have kept more tabs on the likes of Hank because he is one of the main characters. Right, So, yeah. but, but look, if that's my only criticism, that I feel some of the pacing with the, with the other characters is off, then this is a phenomenal show, and I'm really excited to uh, continue watching. We've just got to the point where um, Kristen Ritter, uh, Aaron Paul's short-lived girlfriend has uh, just died from an overdose in front right. of Walter White yeah. and he did nothing. He stood there. And you think, you scumbag. Yeah. Whoa. But you still root for him. You still want you still want him to do well. So really enjoying it. Yeah. Heartily recommend it. Anyway, James, let's crack on. Time is uh, moving, moving swiftly by. All right. We have got some trailers to look at this week and I want to start with a TV show coming to Amazon Prime. It is the most expensive TV show of all time, ah. Lord of the Rings. So, Rings of Power. The uh, superb owl oh, was dear. at the weekend. <laughs> <laughs> and then amongst those ads for said owl, yes, there was this teaser. So here we go. Haven't you ever wondered what else is out there? There's wonders in this world. Beyond our wandering. I can feel it. Have you ever been less convinced by a voice? There's so many good voices out there. James, I have some thoughts about this teaser. Oh, what yeah, did you too. think? <laughs> I, uh, I could tell their target audience, <laughs> and it wasn't me. <laughs> right, how so? Explain. I don't know. It really almost felt like a Pixar trailer. Okay. 
like I, 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 like Pixar do their trailers very well and they do their films very well, but this really felt like, aside from like some scenes that are a little bit more actiony, it felt like a Pixar trailer. It had it had just a weird blend of modern tastes when it comes to framing yeah, and yeah, voice yeah. work and character and stuff like that, where it just didn't really feel like the kind of myth feel that you'd expect from a Lord of the Rings, and it felt more like the the uh, the young adult fantasy yes. feel that you might expect from not the Lord of the Rings. That's that's really well summarized. And here's the thing: this is the most expensive TV show of all time. It did not look like it. <laughs> Some of those shots did did not look expensive at all, even if you're thinking about the cost of CG. Yeah. So that that to me is I was unconvinced. That's my that's my word. Yeah. The kind of trailer which I want to see, and and we'll, as we'll talk about with Jordan Peele's Nope in just a second. Ah. The kind of trailer you watch and think that looks great. I want to I want to go see that. I want to find out more. Yeah. Whereas I saw this trailer for Lord of the Rings: The Rings of Power, and thought, yeah, actually not that bothered if I don't see it <laughs> when it comes out. It was kind of, yeah, it was kind of just like, hey, remember the Lord of the Rings? And all the teenagers were like, well, not no, really. No. And then they went, well, you're going to love this. <laughs> <laughs> and do you know what it is? And part of it is, I, I do find this difficult, and you'll have a, a better idea right. of this, having watched the Star Wars spinoffs. Okay, The yeah. Lord of the Rings, when they came out, were very much, a, a, again, a product of their time. They were shot in a way where CGI was just kind of on the, the verge of being you know, really, yeah, really good. Yeah, yeah, but yeah. as we've talked about before, the Fellowship of the Ring is the best one because... Yeah, they had to use the CGI so carefully. Right. And everything else was practical and everything else was done really yeah. nicely. And then you watch The Hobbit, yeah. The New Hobbits, and you think, this is a disaster because you've basically just got entirely CGI. And it's lost any sense yeah, of realism. Yeah, the opposite. And I believe that's what they've done here. Even the stuff that they could have shot practically, they've gone, a, yeah. uh, that's going to take us way too long. It's going to cost a wee bit too much. Let's do the CGI instead. And it's lacked and it's lost yeah. that realism. It just looks like, do you know what I thought? I looked like a mix of Thor, like B-roll from Thor. Right, yeah. And, and that young, as you say, young adult, teenage... Hunger Games with CGI, yeah, framing, editing, it just ah, uh, just didn't like it at all. Unconvinced. It was it was framed for an Instagram advert. You could tell that they <laughs> chose these scenes because they'd all fit into a square box rather than an actual widescreen. Yeah. Um. So we watching on widescreen. It was really boring because your eyes don't have to do any work. Um. And it was it was they did edit it a little bit differently, but hey, I'm I'm complaining. Um, there's been a lot of backlash about this. There has from like diehard fans from forums and stuff like that. But there was a lot of backlash about the Lord of the Rings, the films from diehard fans and forums. And there still is a lot of backlash from diehard fans because really? you're never going to adapt a mythological epic into a film and you're never going to adapt it into a TV series. You're going to do the best you can. Yeah. It is a shame to me that the best they can on this time is so heavily, heavily reliant on on CGI rather than making things feel real. It all looks a bit too clean. It all looks a bit too pure. Even, the, even when there's like characters who should be and a, a bit more of a mess. Even then, they look a little bit like blo- like glowy around the edges, and it's just not. Okay. It's not got that same grounded in myth feeling. And I think the backlash is in some ways justified because of that. But then there's other things where it's like the elves don't look elven enough, and it's like, well, who cares? So I, that everyone interprets things differently. You might yeah, think yeah. that all elves are blonde of long hair, but 
that wasn't the case in the books. That was just thanks to Peter Jackson. Yeah. And there's things like people complaining about people of color being elves or in the film at all or in the TV series at all. That's just that's just trash. Um, I do want to say that the dwarf lady should have a beard. That is established <laughs> okay. in the universe. I'm upset that the dwarf lady does does not have a beard. <laughs> But yeah, overall, it has set my expectations for this show. And when I really enjoyed the teaser trailer of the, like the title screen and all of its practical effect glory, I was really happy. I was like, well, maybe they're trying hard. And then this has gone like, actually, no, they're not trying that hard. So I will probably still be able to enjoy this show, but it really has grounded my expectations as it's going to feel like uh, fan service, maybe even fanfic. Okay, well, I did mention Jordan Peele there, so rather than play a clip of this, because there's very little lines of dialogue, right. let's talk about the trailer for Nope. Now, I would go and watch this before you oh, yeah. listen to the rest of it, because then you'll have an idea of what we're actually talking about. This is the latest movie from the acclaimed writer and director of the likes of Get Out and Us. Which, particularly Get Out, one of my favourite films of all time. Really yeah. phenomenal stuff. This has the likes of uh, Daniel, Kaluuya, uh, Daniel Kaluuya in the uh, the lead role. And uh, again, a, an ensemble cast. James, there's a lot going on in this trailer, but at the same time, I don't really know what it's about. <laughs> yeah, I was, I was really looking forward to... Because I didn't have a clue of anything about this film. So when the trailer was kicking off, I was like... Well, what on earth is what on earth is this? How is he gonna how is he gonna peelify this? Because he's got a specific storytelling style. Hey, yeah, yeah, yeah. And then it was he did that in a different way to what I expected. I, I did not expect the well, uh, I'm guessing alien storyline. It looks it looks like an alien invasion. Yes, to be a thing. I don't even know. It kind of looks like it's aliens. I didn't try to like guess too much because I do want to enjoy the film without having figured all right, of, right, right. all of it out from like minor plot details, but. This is a trailer well done. Yes. Because it, it left me asking so many questions, but also it showed enough of the characters that I'm invested in them and I understand what they are supposed to be and who they represent. And I also do understand that most of Peel's stories have like some social commentary under them and I'm I'm excited to see what this one is yeah, you've as well. summarized that really nicely actually. There's very little I would add to that. I thought it was how a trailer should be. Enough of a glimpse to make you interested and invested in the characters but also without any yeah. real idea yeah. of what is going on, which is great. But there's, there's horses and horses are cool. <laughs> that is true. Okay, one more trailer before we move on and this is for the new, and I believe the final, <laughs> Jurassic World movie. Yes. Jurassic World Dominion. Yes. Here's a clip. Right. We can't keep her here forever. They find her, we're never going to see her again. we got to protect her. That's our job. Humans and dinosaurs can't coexist. We created an ecological disaster. Settler. Alan Grant. You didn't come out all this way just to catch up now, did you? You coming or what? Okay, James, similarly, I have lots of thoughts about this. What did you think? Dinosaurs are an extinction level threat to humanity because for some reason, all of our military weapons don't work on them. But I don't know if they established that somehow. But wow, the dinosaurs, whatever are we going to do? Yep, yep. Here's the thing. 
And if you were unable to tell from the trailer, do go watch it. They have brought back... They have. ...a sizable chunk of the original Jurassic Park cast. So that is Jeff Goldblum, Sam... What's his face? Neil. Sam Neil. Thank you. Laura Linney, is it? Maybe. Anyway, original cast are back, as well as the old... New guys, so that's like Chris Pratt. Yeah, the new original cast. Yeah, the new originals and the old old people. This, to me, feels like a cash grab of the highest order, and the trailer gave away everything. Mm, yeah. And even the cool stuff, I thought, why are you showing us here? Why didn't you just keep that? Yeah. And they didn't. Yeah, a trailer not well done about a story that I don't quite understand. However, <laughs> one thing that I do know about this film is that... The second film in this trilogy was completely sacrificed for the purpose of making this film. Right. So the only goal of the second film was, and the dinosaurs escape into the world. And there, then we get to make the third film that they wanted to make all along because the director only wanted to make this film. The second film was to make this film happen. So I don't think they did a good job making that make sense in the second film. Doesn't matter. It happened. The third film's got to be the exciting culmination of that event I just don't quite buy the excitement, okay, or or the or the reason this is a, this is a threat or a problem at all. I they really need to sell me on why some of the dinosaurs escaped equals global catastrophe. I don't right. I don't get it because, uh, but you know, if I can turn my brain off and enjoy the story, and it's and it's got cool dinosaurs in it, oh yeah, it's nice. I like it. Well done. Because I agree. The main thing is that there are seven billion people and counting on this planet. Mm-hmm. How many mm-hmm. dinosaurs did you escape? Like, how many are out there? Enough to enough to have a lot of babies, okay. apparently. Several million? But also babies resistant to, like, to firearms and, you know, like, bombs. Yep. Maybe even nukes. Bomb-proof dinosaurs. You no, know, maybe we nuked them and they got stronger. Maybe it's a Godzilla <laughs> prequel. Yeah, I don't understand. And clearly it's very much, like, a Western-focused extinction yeah, yeah, yeah just these random white people in north america who are like oh no oh no we might our our little group yeah. might get extinct but you know i think a part of the idea is that all the rich people of the world were buying dinosaurs as pets and that contributed to it blah 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 okay. but i don't i don't get how it how it makes this global crisis that, that and especially one that only a very few a very small group of dinosaur experts can solve but you know <laughs> I, th- I think it could be a fun film, even if it makes zero sense. And it's definitely going to make a lot of money. Yeah, absolutely. I did enjoy the first one. The second one I thought was a bit naff. But ultimately, if you're if you're just watching dinosaurs do stuff, yeah. it's yeah. a pretty safe bet for a mindless, entertaining film. Yeah. And you've got Jeff Goldblum in it, who makes things better. There's there's a There used to be a card car, card collectible card set. I don't remember what it was called, but it was about dinosaurs Trump's. taking over the planet. Oh. Um and all the things they did like uh destroying a news agency or like defeating <laughs> some tanks or like standing on a dog. And I think that the writers for the film probably just got those cards and were like this is our storyboards. Base a movie off these. We make the we make the film. <laughs> okay, well dear listener, if you have reviewed or not even reviewed, if you've watched something Try that again. COVID brain. <laughs> Dear listener, if you've watched anything, a movie, finished a TV show, read a book. Right. Oh, wait, James, I finished. Yeah. I, yeah. Wait, wait, wait. I finished. I read Natives by Akala. Oh. All right. It only took me two years since I bought the book. Are you going to review it now or next week? I'm going to review it next week because I need to get my thoughts together. And if I try and come nice. up with words right now, it just right. ain't going to work.
So next week, yeah, okay. natives buy a cow. Right. Very, very good. Okay. Better come back. Dear listener, tell us what you've been watching. Let's hear it. Right, James, let's finish up and talk about some other stories making the headlines this week. And we'll start with Novak Djokovic, who has given right. a exclusive interview to the BBC after his Australian Open debacle. So, yeah. speaking to uh, Amal Rajan, he said he would rather miss out on future tennis trophies than be forced to get a vaccine, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, saying that his jab status was the price he's willing to pay. So the uh, 20-time Grand Slam winner was, of course, deported from Australia last month after a whole drama with the government, the state of Victoria, and his visa slash lying on his form about his um, COVID status. Yes. So, James, what did you think about the interview? Did you see any of it? I, I, I read about it. I didn't see the interview. Um, right. His stance on, like, sacrificing something so he doesn't take a, the COVID vaccine that's his call right <laughs> sure go for it i don't yeah i don't think i don't think it should be something that we all get put onto our uh, notification feed it's not really a big story when someone chooses to not do the medicine because it is always a personal choice to do the medicine you just also have to then accept the the the, the uh, results of that choice which for him includes no more tennis for a while um, but I think he's done the math and realized that there's probably not going to be vaccine mandates at big tennis events in, in the near future. Yeah, yeah. Um, I, I, I think he's realized that maybe like even Wimbledon, he can probably go there without yep. the, the vax and stuff like that. I think he tried to suggest that he's not anti-vax, but that doesn't land for me since he's, you know, kind of celebrated um, not the vaccine since day one of the COVID. Um, he's done a lot of harm with his stances and he needs, to, he needs to do a lot more work if he wants to convince us that he's pro-vaccine, just not for him. So, so he's, that... a, he's a health freak with people who enable that in a very unhealthy way and it's, it's going to harm him in the long run. Right. So, so from the communication side of things, he's clearly been very well trained. Oh, from day one, yeah. Like he's been well trained since he was before he was a professional tennis player. Right, but particularly with his lines here. And it's because some of the things he said were in that he said them and I thought, okay, that's your decision and I can't really argue against it. So, for example, he said that he controls everything he puts in his body, including, you know, the kind of water he drinks, the fact that he is vegan, right? his sleep, his pills, supplements, all sorts of things. And he said, look, can I, uh, whilst I appreciate the, the world needs to find an end to this pandemic, I'm just, I just don't want to do it. I thought, well, okay. Like, yeah, <laughs> like that's just the freedom that some people have, even to a degree of derangement. Uh, indeed. But my question was like, how much more information does he need? There have been no, yeah, no. 10 billion plus doses of the vaccines administered around the world wealth of information yeah of course vaccines have potential side effects but their safety profile is excellent and they're also exponentially better at defending you from the virus than antibodies that you get from having the virus yeah so, so it's hard to know you know what more does he need or want to know there is no amount there's no amount that he right needs. so he wouldn't be convinced not ever so that's my my point which is he denied he's anti-vax, but he said, like, oh, I don't have enough information about the vaccine, as if there is just one. Yeah. There are many. Right. And 
even though he's an elite athlete at low risk of COVID, he's not at zero risk. And he's had it twice. Yeah, I, I'd, I'd be curious. Everyone out there who says they just don't have enough information about a vaccine, I am curious as to how much information they've looked for right, right, right. about a vaccine. If they've read any of the studies, if they've read the, any of the reporting done on this stuff, if they've read like the reason that they got funded in the first place or that they were promising in the first place. I doubt they've actually read that and all they've done is seen the, re- the reactions of people who they trust to to supposed reading of these reports. And I doubt anyone's got their actual eyes on the papers and is seeing the first-hand take on things. So even him, I I don't think he's looked for the info. So he's not going to find it. Okay, let's uh, move on. Let's talk about the rising cost of living and uh, some quickfire headlines here, James, before I ask your opinion. All right. First of all, fuel prices have hit a record high across the pumps in the UK, Mm -hmm. uh, which saw petrol reach 148 pence Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and diesel over £1.51, nearly £1.52. Right, wow, yeah. i got to assume the fuel companies are taking some major losses to keep the prices just so manageable and reasonable. You'd think so. Oh, yeah, no way. They're making record profits. Of course they are. Yeah, the the cost of now filling your average family car is now £81. Yep. Which is... Disgusting. We also had a whole host of food and drinks manufacturers come out this week as well. We've had Heineken, mm-hmm. who are the world's second largest brewer, who own the likes of Strongbow, Amstel, uh, Heineken itself. They have warned that the price of its beers are going to go up due to the impact of inflation and energy costs to produce their beers. Kit Kats have come out, Durex. Uh, Nestle, I should say as well. <laughs> Did you put um, Durex on the food and drinks list? Uh, to, uh, for some people, James, they are. Oh, and do they make flavor? I guess. Yeah. <laughs> he said that these uh, rising costs and inflation meant that the prices of their products yeah. are going to go up. We've also had uh, they are. Marmite have come out this week to say something similar. And finally, James, the cost of living has now hit a thirty-year high. With, as I've just mentioned there, energy, fuel, food prices all soaring right? and uh, retailers deciding against their usual seasonal discounts. So, James, that is where we're, that's where we're at. Yeah, but meanwhile, basically every single one of these companies is making more profit than they were before all these record high prices. Yes. Meanwhile, we've got uh, Wall Street and other stock markets doing incredibly well and passing out major bonuses because they've been taking advantage of the ups and downs of the crisis. Uh, We've got um, basically the biggest bonuses in every sector getting passed out because all the mega companies are more profitable than they, they ever were. So it is, everyone's getting richer so long as you're already rich and everyone else, hey, your cost of living has gone up because we're getting taken advantage of and governments are doing nothing to control that. And in fact, they're encouraging it because I'm sure they're making money on the side as well. This is not a like inevitability of a pandemic or an economic crisis. This is companies taking advantage of the situation to leverage their way into greater profits at the cost of the poor. There, there has been a lot of talk, particularly with uh, with politics in the last few days, about what the government can do to help people out. And at the moment, the answer seems to be nothing. Just tax wealthy people. You know, if you taxed people who have earnings or wealth over a hundred million. 
you'd get a whole lot, a lot of money if you gave them their own special tax bracket. You know? And, you know, I don't think anyone who's earning or has wealth of over 100 million really is going to, like, be in dire straits so they get taxed a little more, but they'll pretend that they are. Like, the tax brackets that we have available to us don't have to be super low. We don't have to start taxing people who are earning 100,000, yep. anything different. Maybe they would struggle, but there is wealth taxes available and it is always going to pay off. Previous booms of countries have always had higher top rates of tax. Thatcher had higher top rates of tax than we do now. Yep. So what are we doing? All we're doing is making the poorest suffer more and more. And yeah, maybe Kit Kat. I don't know. Maybe they are making losses. Maybe they are one of the good companies who is just trying to scrape by. There are some. Yeah. I doubt it, though. I would love to see the proof as to what companies are legitimately struggling and then looking at yep. the Starbucks of the world who are raising their prices but also just making more money than ever and paying their paying their owners more money than ever. The McDonald's of the world who are doing the same thing. All these mega corporations aren't struggling. The government's doing nothing to help. And all we have to do is tax them a little bit. Yeah, there was a clip that went viral on social media this week of an Irish talk show. You might have seen it where they had a whole panel of, it looked like Irish question time, and they had a guy who was clearly better informed than all of the politicians calling out their total lies mm-hmm. about the cost of living, about you know what they're going to do, about what's happening in the country. And he made the point that nobody cared about you know the cost of living in Ireland until Google came out and said, hmm, we're going to have to rethink if we can base ourselves in this country because of how expensive Mm -hmm. it is for our employees to get to work and to, to live. And then suddenly... It was a case of oh oh we okay well, let's let's look at what we can do to help people get through the cost of living and this guy was making the point that Google is one of five companies in Ireland who pay half of the country's corporation tax yeah five companies and they only sat up and paid attention when Google said hmm we're gonna have to have a look at this chaps yeah rather than. You know, the millions of people who are just regular folk yeah, who have been struggling with this for months and will continue to. Yeah, and that's the, the opposite of the influence we need. We need to be caring about the, the over-dependence on food banks. That is in, an increasing problem UK-wide. Child poverty is insanely high, but nobody cares. And yeah, yeah. it comes to down to a company being like, hey, uh, if you don't actually like start trying to make your cost of living lower, we might have to wait, raise our wages or something, which would be bad, and we'll have to leave and go somewhere cheaper. That's mad. <laughs> if your cost of living is so high that companies might have to raise their wages to keep their people, I don't know, alive, and therefore the company would rather leave than actually raise the wages, yep. nobody's being good. The company's not being good. The government's not being good. People are being taken advantage of. And the solution is tax. Okay, talking off politicians and tax. Well, just politicians. Boris Johnson has until 10 o'clock <laughs> well. on Friday night to answer the Metropolitan Police's questionnaire about whether he broke lockdown rules at the Downing Street parties. The PM has been speaking with his lawyers about his response, and it is these same private lawyers who are overseeing communications Mm. with the police service. Sources close to Mr. Johnson Mm -hmm. say he is funding these lawyers himself, and the number 10 machine is allegedly being kept in the dark to avoid an alleged conflict of interest. Right, so, right, right. This is, um, yeah, this is where we're at, James. He clearly still is uh, deciding what to say to the Met Police. Yeah. What do you think? Well, 
I don't think he, he, he can really lie his way through a police form. I think the good part about this questionnaire is it's getting sent to more people than Boris and other people were in the room. And unless they're all coordinating their lie, which based off the Conservatives' history of coordinating things privately, we'd find out about in like two weeks, um, th- th- there is going to be some truth coming out on the other end of this. And it's about whether the police actually put any effort into chasing that up or not after the fact. Um, it is... Uh, historic moment to have a prime minister like under questioning on the police for a change for actual illegal things rather than just unlawful things which he's got a much wider history of um but of all the things that boris has to worry about honestly one of the least important ones it's just the one that should be getting uh, that will be getting all the headlines because you know he's got a lot of russian money influencing him at a time where russia is a primary crisis i feel like that's something to worry about a bit more but hey Maybe he's going to get done for the parties in the meantime. I wait with bated breath yeah. <laughs> to see if he actually gets done for that. I believe his his current argument is, well, I live here. Yeah. So yeah. if it was everyone else who came around to my gaff, wasn't me. I'm sure we could all get away with that, yeah. And, and like, what's what's going to happen? The police are going to charge him? No, They're going to arrest him? He'll get, he'll get fined and then some donor will pay the fine and then Boris will pretend that he paid the fine himself. And then it will all go away, and then he'll get voted right. to be PM again in a couple. It oh, leads us to our final story, James. We did talk about it briefly last week, but uh, whilst I was editing, mm-hmm. she mm-hmm. resigned. There we go. This is Dame Cressida Dick, who is the former, uh, or or the, maybe, I don't know if she's still in the job, or maybe she quit. I can't remember. She's either <laughs> quit or she's going to quit. Hours after announcing that she would not quit. Indeed. So, James, what do we th- what do we think about this? Well, I know what the police think about Sadiq it. Sadiq Khan was, was one of the... Uh, one of the people who has now been blamed for it. Blamed, the indeed, yeah. The Met Police Federation came out to say, well, we, we have no faith in Sadiq Khan. So there. We don't like his influence over the police because the police don't want to be held accountable for things because it turns out the police are flawed a lot and they like to hide those flaws and that we should be holding them to account more often. So, you know, this one time that it's actually happened a wee bit, they're upset. Because it might make us, uh, it might make way for more accountability and oversight to the police who need it, who need it, but they don't want it because they would be bad for them as individuals. Um, so yeah, they're upset. I'm not upset. This kind of thing should happen a lot. When the police make, make major mistakes, they should be held to account. People should lose their jobs and lose their roles, and so that they can be replaced by people who are more trustworthy or who have a better history. And if none of the police have a good history and the only replacement options are worse, then we need to change the whole system over the course of a lot of years, I guess, to get rid of all of the options and get good options in instead. Like the only reason the police should be upset is if they think somebody worse is going to get the job. In which case, that's a big problem. <laughs> oh, man. Okay, James, uh, we'll have to end the show there because I need more paracetamol. You've done well. Thank you. I have. I'm very proud. Of my COVID brain. Mm-hmm. Well, dear listener, if you want to get in touch with the show, disagree, agree, give your tuppence worth, you can. Ceaseoperate at gmail.com or tweet us at Ceaseoperate or just message us directly. Anything works. Indeed. Okay, James, I will see you with, fingers crossed, a less covid brain next week. Absolutely. Take care of yourself. I will. And anyone else out there who's got COVID, you do the same. And anyone who doesn't have COVID, take care as well. I'm going to go eat some honey. <laughs> just, just eat. Eat a jar of honey. That would be great. Mmm. Mm. COVID cures. Djokovic would believe you. <laughs> <laughs>